Welcome to a new edition of the Neon Jazz Interview Series with talented modern-day saxophonist Miguel Zanon. He just received a Grammy nomination for his latest 2014 album called Identities Are Changeable. He began his journey in San Juan, Puerto Rico. Then he moved to America to attend the Berklee College of Music in Boston. Since then, he's gigged with the best, like the San Francisco Jazz Collective, Charlie Hayden, Fred Hirsch, Kenny Werner, David Sanchez, Danilo Perez, Bobby Hutcherson, and the list goes on and on. He talked about a lot of things and made it very clear that he is a work in progress, and he's heading in the right directions. Please dig this interview, my friends. First of all, before we begin, thank you very much for taking some time to talk with me. I appreciate it. Of course, man. Anytime. Congratulations on the Grammy nomination for Pet's Latin Jazz album. Thank you. I'm going to go ahead and dive right in here and just kind of get a snapshot. I know you're busy, but give me an idea of what's been going on lately. <laughs> a few different things. I mean, it's kind of hard to say, but um, this year, I mean, we've been pretty busy sort of touring this this project, the, the, the project that you mentioned that was nominated, and we've been we're touring that project a lot. So we've been in Europe a couple of times, at least three times. we played in the States a bunch. So that's kind of what, what's been going on from the, um, my, you know, my group side of things. I'll also be doing a lot of stuff as a sideman. I've done a lot this year with the Ether Jazz Collective, which is this group that I work with and I've been working with for a little, very long time. And we just finished a tour about a month ago. I also teach uh, at the New York Conservatory, so I've been doing that and been doing different residencies at different places like Columbia University. I uh, did a residency recently. Besides that, I've been trying to practice. I've been trying to write some music because we're we're trying to we're try, we're actually getting ready to to go into the studio next early next year and do another record. So uh, I've been writing a lot of music for that, and we've been we've been rehearsing and trying music out, and you know that's been taking some time too. You know, so a lot of time for, plus the family and the holidays coming up and all that. <laughs> yeah, and that's the good stuff, man, for sure. So obviously, your album Identities Are Changeable is getting some great reviews. Tell me what kind of creative energy went into this. What was the conception, and what was your feeling on how it came out? Well, the, the album, I mean, the, the project itself kind of came together actually a while back, I would say maybe three or four years ago. Uh, it was kind of sparked by this, um, a few things, you know, me, be kind of, me kind of being curious about, you know, uh, just the whole, the whole, um, the, the phenomenon uh, that is the Puerto Rican community in the United States, specifically in, in New York City, in this area, and I have my family here in New York and all that. So I was exposed to that early on. Um, and then I was exposed to this book by this guy, Juan Flores, who's an uh, academic guy, who's actually one of the individuals that I interviewed for the for the record. And the book called uh, the, the Diaspora Strikes Back. And uh, that book sort of sparked was well, kind of like the main idea for the project because in the book he also like conducts interviews with you know fellows from Puerto Rico and the Caribbean and Dominican Republic, Cuba, and I just thought that was really interesting and and I thought it would be a good way for me to kind of get into knowing more about this subject, just you know by basically talking to people that I knew who had gone through the experience, and then around that time, um, this performance uh, uh, space, uh, basically, uh, uh, this is it's like a like a performance space at, at the University of Montclair, Montclair in Jersey. They commissioned us to write a piece for them, and I just thought that was the, the, a good opportunity to kind of tackle this. And I went into it, and we, we performed it there, and then eventually we played it a, enough that I felt that it was it was you know kind of ready to be recorded. 
and we did that. You know, I mean, the whole process was very new to me because I'd never really worked on anything like this that involved, you know, any kind of multimedia or, you know, like recording interviews and all that, or even just the fact that I was writing for a big band that was new to me. So it was uh, it was just a very, very new experience, and I learned a lot from learned a lot from it. You know, so I'm just I'm glad that we're finally just getting to, getting to play it. <laughs> Yeah. Well, speaking of your homeland, talk to me a little bit about your childhood in San Juan. What kind of environment was it to foster a love of music and more specifically jazz for you? I grew up in, in, in San Juan, in a section of San Juan called Santurce. My family grew up in, uh, in, um, in, uh, in basically my both my parents, my, their families grew up in the same neighborhood. And I was musically inclined early on, even though my I don't I don't necessarily come from a musical family in the sense that there there were a lot of these like professional musicians in my family. But it was very musical in the sense that there was music around all the time. You know, my mom was you know, my memories of, of as a child was my mom was singing all the time and my father played a little percussion and there was so always something going on. So I don't I mean, probably subconsciously that had something to do, even though none of my siblings play any music. They like music, but you know that kind of like you know I was gravitated towards it. I, I was enjoying it. I, it was to me it was kind of like a like a game, you know, and something that I really enjoyed and was fun to do. Uh, so I, I started studying at, um, first in my neighborhood with a with a teacher there who taught taught some of the neighborhood kids for free, and then eventually I, I ended up in a, in a school called Escuela Libre de Música, which is sort of like a performance uh, middle school and high school, which focuses on music. And, and I went there from seventh grade to twelfth grade, and um, and you know it was all classical training. So that's my first, you know, my first saxophone lessons, and so my first exposure to being you know, around, you know, all the kids like me who like music. And it's really good school, really good, really really solid training, you know. And towards the end of that experience at the school, through friends at the school, I I discovered jazz. You know, people started passing around tapes. Charlie Parker and, and Cannibal and Miles Davis, John Coltrane, et cetera. And um, I was really attracted to it immediately. You know, I was attracted to uh, to this idea of improvisation, which is not really exclusive of jazz, but, but you know, I, I just thought the way it was built into the music was really deep. You know, it was kind of coming out of this language, which I didn't really understand, but it's really attractive, attractive to me. And I was really attracted to to how these musicians could improvise, but at the same time be so proficient in their instruments. You know, like play the instruments so amazingly and such a great personality. And um, so, you know, I mean, uh, it, it only took a couple years of that, maybe even less, for me to really decide, like totally turn my life around, really, because it, uh, before that point, uh, I never considered being a musician like something that I was going to do. Before. For a living or anything, you know. That jazz made me become passionate about music, basically, and I decided that I wanted to pursue it. So uh, it took me a, a, a couple of years, but I eventually ended up gathering enough funds to, uh, you know, pay tickets and, you know, get get like a running start to be able to go to school in the states in Boston, actually. And then, you know, I moved over here and it's, you know, went to school and just kind of kept it going after that. Talk to me about the saxophone. What was it that attracted you to that instrument at the beginning? Yeah, you know that's a that's a funny story actually. When I uh, when I went to to uh, the school, this uh, Escuela Libre de Música, when I went there on the first day, and when you when you're supposed to enroll, you know, in your classes and all that, we were a little late, 
uh, uh, for some reason. And uh, I actually wanted to play the piano. That's that was the instrument that I that I had kind of my eyes set on. But when I when we got there, everybody had the same idea, you know, it's this popular instrument. So all the all the spaces for piano students were taken. And I think somewhere in my family had a, had a saxophone somewhere, you know, uh, and had already you know played it a little bit because I studied with this this gentleman in my neighborhood. I played it, you know, played a couple notes, kind of fooled around with it. Uh, they said, you know, we have some space and saxophone, guitar, and something else. I don't know, bassoon or something. And uh, and I was like, man, I already have a saxophone. I, I might as well just take the saxophone. But it was, it was the kind of thing where it, I was a lot more attracted to uh, to music in general than to a specific instrument. Of course, the saxophone eventually grew up, grew on me, and you know, became my voice or whatever. But it wasn't like the saxophone wasn't the reason why I wanted to study music. I just wanted to play something, basically. So let's talk about your journey from San Juan to America. You come to the Berkeley College of School in Boston. What was that kind of different culture of America and then getting involved in such a high-caliber school? What was that like for you? Well, you know, the the main reason why I ended up moving to the States was because once I decided that, that I wanted to pursue jazz, you know, basically I wanted, to, I wanted to learn what jazz was. I wanted to understand what was going on. I realized that I couldn't do that in Puerto Rico, you know, because there weren't any like, high education institutions there that could teach me. There wasn't anyone there who could teach me, you know. So I, I realized that I had to come to the States. Uh, so and, and Berkeley seemed like the place to go. I knew a couple of people who had gone and they really liked it and, you know, they had really good faculty and alumni and all that. So I kind of set my, my my eyes on Berkeley and eventually ended up making it over there. Um, it was... Uh, on one side of things, it was it was really kind of like paradise, you know. I mean, I mean Berkeley's a great school and, and and all that, but it wasn't necessarily about the school. It was just for me to be in the in an environment where everyone, you know, was as hungry as I was, or even hungrier to learn. And you know, it was like twenty four seven. That's all you did, you know, just play and listen to music and talk about music, and you know, and that's kind of what I was looking for in a way. And also getting there and realizing that I was so far behind <laughs> compared to uh to most of my peers, you know, in terms of like uh, you know, the jazz language and just, you know, information and history, you know, because everything I had learned up to that point about jazz I had learned on my own. It was encouraging, you know, just to see how much information was out there for me to learn and all that. But uh, you know, I always it was also a culture shock, of course, everything from being away from our family and and you know like getting around the language and just you know learning how to how to be on your own and survive on your own in in a foreign place is um it was a thing you know but it it, it eventually all all made sense after a while well, it sounds like a real period at first, so I want to ask you this: what was it like the first time you had a professional jazz gig that you performed live? Were you nervous did it feel like a comfortable pair of shoes? What was going on? <laughs> you know, I, I played a couple gigs in Puerto Rico with some of my, my jazz-loving friends there before I moved to Boston. And at first, you know, I mean, playing jazz, even though I was very new to it and, and it was all very kind of all coming together for me, it was I was actually very relaxing. You know, I mean, it was very it was very fun. It was more, it was like I was discovering something new. It was it was really amazing. You know, what I mean, I think maybe once I once I got to uh, to the states, once I got to Boston and 
I, I came into my first couple of professional situations where, you know, like the bar was a little higher and, you know, more people watching and the level was higher. Then the, it, it was more pressure, you know. I, I definitely felt, I definitely felt, felt nervous, and, you know. You know, I've always kind of seen it as, as this, this sort of musical career or whatever. It's, it's basically a series of, of opportunities that present themselves at, at different points in your life, you know. And sort of my 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 motto has always been to make sure that you're prepared, you know, for when those opportunities come, you can take advantage of them and be at your best and, and all that. So, you know, that's basically what I try to do. I try to, you know, when those opportunities came and somebody called me for a gig, I made sure that that I was ready, you know, that I knew the music well and I could I could do the best I could, you know. Absolutely. And and that helped that helped just kind of made me made me feel a little more at ease, and you know, I was nervous, but I knew that that I that I had prepared. So I really, I wasn't nervous on that side of things. I just wanted to, you know, make sure that I didn't nervous breakdown. <laughs> <laughs> well, obviously everything worked out pretty well because you toured and recorded with the San Francisco Jazz Collective, Brett Hirsch, Charlie Hayden, the Vanguard Village Orchestra, the Mingus Big Band. It goes on and on. So let me ask you this: What has it been like to be around musicians of that caliber? How much did it add to you as a musician, and what was that experience from a professional standpoint like? That's probably been the greatest learning experience for me out of this whole thing, just being around um, musicians who are more experienced, who are older, who can teach me things, uh, even when they're not trying to teach me. You know, you can just learn by example. And uh, when I got into into music in general, not even jazz music, I mean, my, my my goal was always to play with other people. That's kind of like what I wanted to do, especially like people that I admired. And once that, once that started happening, it was almost like for me, it was like that was already it for me. I didn't really need much more because, uh, you know, if you if you get to play with your heroes and and learn from them and and feel like you're getting better in the process, for me that was it. that you know I had I had basically achieve what I was trying to achieve, which was basically get to a level where I could actually play with this guy that I was listening on, on, on record like 10 years before or something like that. So it was, it's, it's really a, it's an amazing feeling. It's, it's the greatest the greatest feeling, really. So now in 2015, you got a Grammy nomination, um, over nine recordings as a leader. What, what do you do as an artist to evolve and reinvent yourself, not only as a conceptualist of music, but as a producer? What do you do on a regular basis to keep that fresh and evolving? For me, there's a couple sides to that. You know, I'm an instrumentalist, and and my instrument is my musical voice, in a way. So I try to stay, stay on top of my instrument. You know, I practice as much as I can whenever I have the time, and, and make sure that that's not going to be, that's not going to present uh, something like an obstacle. It's not going to be an obstruction, you know. Uh, same thing with with writing music and and making sure that uh, making sure that I'm doing the, the the work that I that I that I need to do. You know, I I feel that you know once you're doing this for a while, it becomes a job. You know, like everything else, and you got to be looking out for the business side of things and making sure things are are, are working out. And you know, it, it it's like you know it's like you pay the rent, how you support your family, but at the same time, you know, I, I really try to be focused. On, on what the task really is for me, which is really to try to be better today than I was yesterday, you know. So yeah. I just I just put in the work and and and, and focus on on being on being concentrated on trying to better myself. So let me ask you this: you know, I, I saw a graphic a while back where Miles Davis was sitting there and it said above him, 
it took me years to find my voice. You know, as a musician, you play music, but more specifically, you are communicating something to this outside world. And obviously, for a musician like you, you've moved enough to move people that are giving you kudos for an award that is huge. So you obviously move people with your voice. What do you, on a musician's level, believe that your voice is? What are you saying? Wow. It's it's hard to say from from my perspective, but um, I I think that it's definitely a combination uh, of a lot of people that I admired. You know, um, uh, that I admire. I I feel that uh, most of what I do musically is basically uh, borrowing ideas from people who I admire and and sort of filtering them uh, and you know sort of processing them into my own my own language, be it you know, legendary jazz musicians or even current jazz musicians who I really admire, to also, you know, the music of Puerto Rico and the Caribbean and Latin America and just the idea of being Puerto Rican in general, you know, I think that all these things eventually has they, they have sort of shaped my personality and my voice. And to be honest with you, I mean, this is something that that feels to me at least that never ends, you know, and, and you kind of never end never finish like trying to find something that's sort of hitting under these layers of yourself and trying to bring that out. And that's part of the fun of it for me, you know, yeah. that it's not really finalized and you never really stop, you know, trying to get better and stop studying and stop trying to develop something. There's always something to work on. It's, and it's, it's uh, one of the greatest things about this. You know, you've mentioned a lot of influences in your life from the very beginning with Bird and with Miles being such influences for you to get into jazz. And, you have all kinds of influences, your own kids and your uh, the, the people that you love throughout your life and those that love you. Tell me, who has taught you the most about music and life? <laughs> I've had a lot of good teachers and, uh, you know, going to school and a lot of a lot of older uh, musicians, peers who've, who've been mentors to me, people like Daniel Perez, David Sanchez, and the list, the list goes on and on, you know, many, Steve Coleman, I could just go on and on. But I have to say that, I, that I've, I've learned the most out of my own my own mistakes in a way and my own experiences, you know. I think, uh, you know, there, there, is a, there is a process that I went through going to college and learning about this music that way and gathering a lot of information, but that information really would not wouldn't have been wouldn't have made a difference if I didn't if I didn't get a chance to, you know, sort of like jump off the cliff and see what it felt like to try this and take risks and see somebody else do it and see how it worked for them. You know, uh, I think that I've learned the most out of, of my own experiences and, and you know Failures and some and a few things that have gone well too. It's it's uh, it's a, it's a it's a process, you know. And I feel that the more you do it, the more you you get comfortable with that kind of process. So we're going to enter kind of the the fantasy segment of this interview, and I want to ask you this: If you could get into a time machine and go back in time and see a jazz musician, who would you see and where would you go? <laughs> Uh, it'll probably be Charlie Parker, you know. It'll probably be Charlie Parker because, even though I mean, there's a lot of great ones, and, and of course, I mean, you could just go go on and on with this fantasy thing. But uh, it was it was really about him, you know, and it's always been about him for me. Um, not only because of the instrument that he played, but also uh, there was something about this balance that he had between dexterity, just mastery of the instrument, 
being able to just master the the brainy, you know, the, the theory kind of side of this music, but also the sentimental kind of, you know, expressive side of it. That's really what, what did it for me, you know. And even when I hear now, you know, when I hear your, when I hear some of those records that I, that I heard early on and, and that I've heard hundreds of times, I'm still in awe, you know. So if I if I got a chance to, you know, like ask them a couple questions or something <laughs> like that, that would that would that would really that would really be great. So let me ask you this: It's a simple question, but you've devoted your life to jazz. I, I want to ask you this: Why do you love jazz? There is an element. In jazz, I mean, I was talking earlier about this idea of improvisation and and this idea of, of it having, like, a really nice balance between something that's more intellectual and something that's more, like, sentimental. And those are really a lot of great things to love about this music. But for me, it really comes down to, you know, it gives you the opportunity to take risks constantly. And, you know, sometimes they won't come out as good, and sometimes you you it will fall, sometimes it will turn out good. But I think the fact that the music sort of op- like presents that door, that possibility all the time, like, you know, all the time when you're playing, it's like all the time is there. You know, you have to, you have all these different different options of things you could do, and, and, and it's, about, it's all about really letting go and risk-taking, and, and it's really nothing like it for me. I mean, I've, I've played different kinds of music, and I like to be ex- exposed to it, but it, what brings me back, back to yet, the jazz is that feeling, that feeling of really, you know, being able to to jump off the cliff and take the risk and see how it goes, you know, just like that feeling of, of not really knowing what's there, but you want to go anyway. What do you like the most about waking up every day? <laughs> well, you know, to tell you the truth, I mean, I, I, uh, uh, I love my family and I love, you know, being, being my home and traveling and doing everything that I do, but I really like working. <laughs> I really like I really like going to work, you know. I really like going practicing, going to my practice room and doing it, sitting on my piano, writing music. I I, I really enjoy it, you know. I, I look forward to it every day, and and if I don't do it for a couple of days, I, I I get I, I sort of get in a bad mood. So <laughs> that's, that makes me very happy. That's cool, man. Final question here: Everybody has a perception of who you are, your fans, your family. Um, your people that produce your records, everybody. But who do you think you are? <laughs> I don't know. You know, I mean, I, it's sort of like a, a question that I've been trying to figure out for a very long time. You know, for a while there, it was hard for me to think about myself as an identity, you know, because I was I was kind of going, I was focused on, on things that didn't really have to do with that, and I was trying to figure out what I wanted my life to be, you know, what kind of road I wanted to take. And even these days, you know, I mean, you ask me that question, and 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 you know, I'm I'm a Puerto Rican musician, saxophonist, composer who lives in New York, and I've been states for half of my life. And you know, it's hard for me to say, you know, pinpoint a thing. But uh, you know, if I was going to say something, I, I I would I would say a work in progress. Let's put it that way. Right on. That's perfect, man. Hey, Miguel, thank you for opening up with me today. I appreciate your time. Thank you, man. It's my pleasure. Thanks for listening and tuning in to yet another Neon Jazz interview, where we give you a bit of insight into the finest players in Kansas City, New York City, and spots all over the world giving us all that jazz. And thanks to Miguel for his passion, his cool, and all that great music. If you want to hear more interviews, go to Famous Interviews with Joe Domino on the iTunes Store or visit theneonjazz.blogspot.com 
for all things Neon Jazz. Until next time, enjoy the music, my friends. Neon Jazz.